Hello, this is Melissa, and it is the 25th of May, 2023, and today I'm joined by Judy in Oregon. And so we wanted to let you know that it's actually not the 25th of May when we're speaking. It's the 15th, the whole 10 days ahead of time, but that's what worked out for our schedules. And I'm just happy to be talking with Judy today. Hi. Hi. How, How are, are you? you? I'm good. How are you? I'm I'm good. <laughs> what is the weather like? What's the weather like today? Yeah. Well, they decided to park a heat dome over us. Mm. <laughs> so it's a little warm here in Oregon right now. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. They started. There's. They started really spraying, spraying a lot on Thursday. Oh, you're not one of those that believes that there's a connection between the spray and the weather. (laughs) No, 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 no. Yeah, no, they were they were laying down the trails big time Uh, on on Thursday. uh, And uh yeah, and so they've they've parked another one of their heat domes. mm. At least in this apartment that I have, I have air conditioning. Two years ago when they parked their heat dome over over us. I didn't I lived in an apartment complex that didn't have Air conditioning. That's <laughs> uh, kind of yeah. miserable. Yeah. So I thought we might just you you might want to tell a little bit of your background, and we can even talk about how we know one another and uh, how you knew Alan, and just if you want to launch into anything. Uh, you, <laughs> oh my goodness, Judy, you've That's got the tough. you've got the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the floor. Yeah. Well, my background. Oh, like. I guess, um, well, I didn't meet, I didn't, uh, meet Alan until about 2006. And I took my deep dive shortly after September 11th. Mm-hmm. So, like, I would say early, early 2002 is when I took my deep dive into trying to figure out what the truth <laughs> really is. So there was four or five years there where I did my own, I did my own research because Really, back then, you know, I don't know when when you woke up, Melissa, but back then there was nobody mm-hmm. until I finally had been researching for at least a year or two before I ever even came across David Icke or Alex Jones. Mm-hmm. So there was nobody. So so I was on my own, and actually, in hindsight, I think that was actually a good thing for me mm-hmm. to experience doing my own research and having my own questions and just digging through, oh, so many things. We could, I mean, we could just pick a subject. Once you decide you're going to take the deep dive and see what truth really is, you know, if you're really, really after the truth, there are so many subjects. And I think I hit them all, <laughs> or tried to anyway. So mm-hmm. that, that was kind of... And then before you, before nine eleven and the deep dive, you were, I, I don't want to say average, but you were a woman going about your life, and you were living in a different state at the time, I think, where you're from, and you were I'm, in the world of business. Yeah, I was living the American dream. I had a wonderful house that was built in 1926. That was actually a HUD repo when I bought it. And I had, you know, it was a labor of love. I had refurbished it, plus added a lot to it. I was working for, actually, what I believe was the, is the classiest builder 
in Scottsdale, Arizona. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a really, the owners were really great people, and we put out a really wonderful product. Like I said, I think they, they I actually think they are still the classiest builder in Arizona, mm -hmm. in the Phoenix metropolitan area. So, yeah, living live the American dream. <laughs> Making good money, you know. I had a, I had a truck for for business, and I had a a TT, an Audi TT for weekend excursions, and just living the dream, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> and you and were then, then, you were still doing that kind of work when you started to research. Yeah, well, I was working. I was working there when September 11th happened. Mm -hmm. And you know when it when it happened, I don't know if you remember where where you were, but I do. Yeah, you know, so watching it on TV, I remember saying the lady that was standing next to me, you know, after we watched the whole whole thing unfold on TV there at the office, I thought I just looked at her and I said, you know, whoever did that, they really planned that out really well. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then you get kind of wrapped, then you get wrapped up in everything that's going on, right? But but I, but I remember early early that morning they had already um, they they had already determined that it was 19 hijackers and you know they had the whole story already laid out by about mm -hmm. nine or ten o'clock our time in the morning because I remember mm -hmm. calling a good friend of mine and saying you know what what did we do to them that was my question what did we do to them you know to to make them want to do this to us of course. Now, in hindsight, we did plenty, but but still, you know, it was like it was it was you know it was investigated, and they understood, you know, exactly what was what happened, right? Mm -hmm. So fast. So, but then you know, then you like I said, then you get wrapped up in in you know everybody in America coming together and all that wonderful stuff, right? Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, one of the things that. Uh, you know, I think like Bush didn't he come on and say, you know, they want to, they want to uh, attack our way of life or something like that. And he may, maybe even said something about going shopping or, or something did, along those yeah. lines. Yeah, he did. Alan used yeah. to comment on that. He said, you know, it's got to be business as usual and 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 spend, you know, <laughs> spend money. Spend spend money. Yeah. So like I took that to heart. Right. And so I said to my mom, my mom, my mother loves Vegas, and I'm like, well, as soon as we can start flying again, let's go to Vegas and spend money. And my mom's like, okay, and my sister was like, okay. So, so the very day that they started letting the flights go, my mother and my sister and I, we flew to Vegas. Now we had the whole, the whole airplane to ourselves, and when we got to Vegas, we had all of Vegas to ourselves, except we ran into one Canadian couple, and we had even bought, uh, we had bought shirts with the American flag on it that said, you know, proud to be American. <laughs> so the three of us are, like, wearing our shirts. Well, this Canadian couple says, oh, can we take your picture? We want to we show everybody back home what the Americans are doing. And we were like, Americans? What Americans are you talking about? <laughs> Only one here. So we actually had, we had a couple days of Vegas all to ourselves, which was actually pretty fun. <laughs> it was pretty fun. But then, you know, after then coming home and getting back to, to life as, as usual, there were just so many things about it that just nagged at the back of my mind, you know, like, this, this, doesn't, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. And then, and then we started the, well, then we started 
before we went into Afghanistan. And from the time I was a really young child, war has always deeply, deeply bothered me. You know, I've always thought, like, how can guys, well, and now women, just go off and kill people that they don't even know? You know, just, it just always, just like I said, it always deeply, deeply bothered me. So with the war, you know, going in, into Afghanistan and then the drums rolling for going into Iraq, I thought, I, I have got to understand what is going on. And like I said, the the reasons that they were giving for September 11th didn't make sense to me. So I knew there was something wrong with that. And that's when I just took my deep dive into into researching. I had, I think, pretty quickly come to the conclusion that it was an inside job. Now, there was nobody that I could talk to, and I hadn't come across anybody's work either. So I had come to the conclusion that it was an inside job. Then I decided, okay, now I'm going to prove myself wrong. And I kind of did my research backwards <laughs> to try to prove myself wrong. And I couldn't prove myself wrong. So hmm. I knew, I knew. So I don't know, maybe a year had gone by by then. I guess the first person that I really came across was was David Icke. He was the only one, you know, saying giving, that I came across anyway. Giving an alternate story to... Well, that was saying, after I had already come to the conclusion myself, that he was saying, you know, September 11th was an inside job. Right. And so I started researching his his work. And, oh, I don't know where to even begin with, with that whole, <laughs> with that whole thing. You know, you're, it changes you. It changes you completely. And I just, you know, I, I, I felt like I needed to, I needed to do something, you know, I'm, I, I was naive and I wanted to save the world, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was just, I was, just, you know, I was, you know who I think, when I finally watched the movie with Mel Gibson, Conspiracy Theory. Yes. I had, you know, I'd already been doing my research and I, and I had like, yeah, I was, I was printing all kinds of documents and buying books and recording shows and, you know, the whole, I mean, I, I was just like him. And when I finally did watch that movie and saw like that, that opening scene where he's in the taxi, <laughs> you know, that was me. I'm not kidding you. That was me. And that was, uh, if I, I wish I had met Alan earlier because, you know, he always warned us about doing that. I was, I did, I, I was wrong <laughs> in doing that. You know, I, I think I kind of, cause that's how I was, you know, but that wasn't anybody else's world around mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. and I and I kid you not they you know my family my friends they really wanted to put me right into the straitjacket they thought I was crazy mm-hmm. you know it was so that that it, that was tough so but anyway like I said you know so so here I am you know I want to save the world right <laughs> gotta do something and like I said you just can't you're just not the same person after that and you can't just do these you know, what you're supposed to be doing, right? Mm-hmm. Living the American dream just was not interesting anymore, you know? Right. And so in doing all that research, I mean, I had already come to that, you know, I thought they were going to take take our country down to a third world country just to, and that we weren't going to be able to travel. Mm-hmm. You know, all of that. I mean, I, I had come across all of all of that, of what their intentions were, I mean, I had a, I had a friend that um, 
a friend of mine who was in the construction business who had sold one of the companies that I had worked for prior to the one that I was just telling you about, he had sold us some property, and we became friends. But he also owned an island in Costa Rica. And he, when he and I would get together, he would show me all the new pictures from his trips to Costa Rica. And I'd always, just in the back of my mind, thought, you know, one day, maybe when I retire, I'll move to Costa Rica. So what I decided to do was sell my house and move to Costa Rica, and I was going to go write some books, you know, <laughs> wake everybody up. <laughs> so I did that. I moved to Costa Rica and probably lived there for about a year. And it's kind of different than what you might, you know, what you might think. There are a lot of Americans that they will uh, move down there and then see what it's really like and <laughs> sell everything and move back home, you know, which was me. <laughs> well, that's After kind of funny because um, all of my siblings and I, uh, many years ago, we took my mom and dad to Costa Rica to celebrate one of their anniversaries. And uh-huh. so I, I got to see the country and see what it was like, but also there were things that I noticed there that I didn't, that I I noticed and it was kind of odd, like a, an official U.S. presence that I could, that I didn't understand. And then later when I met Alan, he said, well, don't you know that, you know, Costa Rica is like owned by the CIA. They're all over that country. <laughs> yeah, yeah, talk about talking about going into the belly of the beast. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hell, I didn't know. Yeah, I just knew it was beautiful country and mm-hmm. beautiful, beautiful people, beautiful people as well. You know, mm-hmm. but once you're down there, you know, it does. It, it is third world. Like you have to be a race car driver for one. And I didn't want to be a race car driver. I mean, yeah. I, I can't tell you the number of times that my sister and I were, like they had some roundabouts where they had, you know, where they had streets coming together. They'd have roundabouts. And there was many times where we were just going around and around and around on the roundabout, you know. Other people probably know how to drive on those, but hey, you're, I'm from here, you know. I like stoplights and right. <laughs> curbs and sidewalks and, <laughs> you know. So, so it, it just it's quite it was quite different, and so I ended up yeah I ended up moving, moving back, moving back to America. Uh, did you get back and into you know, construction? No, go ahead. No, I didn't get back into construction, but but so 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 I moved back. I think it was like 2006 when I actually rented um, I rented uh, a room from my ex brother in law. Mm-hmm. who was willing to take care of my dogs. I had two dogs at the time mm-hmm. and allowed me to go doing a little bit of traveling because I still was, I wanted to know. I mean, I still had lots of questions about the world and I wanted to see some of these things for myself as well as I already knew, I'd already figured out by then that, that there was going to be a time when we were not able to travel, you know, mm-hmm. and so I wanted to get my traveling out of the way before before that happened. Mm-hmm. So I went to, I I spent a couple of years, like spent about a month going all all around South America. Spent about three weeks on Easter Island mm-hmm. to go see those, you know, the big moai and just mm-hmm. see what that was all about. Spent about a month in Egypt. Oh, uh, I don't know. Tra- traveled around a bit, and then I think I think actually. While I was renting that room is when 
when I came across Alan. I came across Alan through Alex Jones. Mm-hmm. And I remember specifically thinking, okay, there must be there must be somebody that is a genuine person. <laughs> let me <laughs> let me look and see who who Alex Jones has interviewed. There must be somebody in there. You know, and I remember like looking at looking at the pictures and reading the you know, reading the bios mm-hmm. on people and picking picking out Alan. I thought, God, he looks he looks like he might be a genuine individual. <laughs> and so I listened listened to his show and I was like, Oh yeah, this this guy's saying exactly and, and then some, I mean I I learned a lot from Alan as well. Don't get me wrong, I didn't know everything, you know, <laughs> but I knew enough. I knew enough by the time by the time I had come across Alan. Including Cointel Pro, mm. controlled opposition, mm-hmm. all of that. You know, you figure you figure all of that out because other people that you encounter, you know. So I actually listened to I I listened to Alan. I would say for I don't know. I want to say about five or six months. I listened to all his talks before I ever got in touch with him because I wanted to make sure that he was the real deal, <laughs> and I mm-hmm. wasn't just falling for it. You know. Mm-hmm. There was one show. That he did with, uh, oh, what was her name? The one. Hepsibola? No, the, the lady that he actually. Oh, Jackie the, Petru? Yeah. He had, he had given out his phone number. Ah, oh, right. On one of, on one of her shows and I happened to, you know, write it down and called him up and got lucky. <laughs> he answered the phone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we started, we started talking and we talked for about six months and I had just offered help because the whole, like I said, the whole thing of, you know, turning my whole life upside down and doing that was to try to find an outlet to help mm-hmm. with our situation. And I knew we were in a situation <laughs> and people were not aware of it, you know. So I had, like I said, I had called him to, to offer, you know, he sounded like he needed, he needed some help. And, uh, and I had offered, I had offered him to see if there was a way that I could help, help him. So that's how we got to know each other. Well, then what happened next? I mean, I know this, but. So you, you were having a, a phone relationship and, and talking with him regularly. And then what happened? Well, we talked for about about six months, you know, on the phone. Mm-hmm. Finally, we had decided, I guess, it was okay for me to come and see how I could see how I could help him out. Mm-hmm. So I got on a plane, <laughs> took a plane trip across the country from from Arizona to Canada to to just to see how I could help him out, and stayed for. I stayed for a couple, <laughs> a couple of weeks. You you so made it. Fun. You made it a couple of weeks. That, yeah, yeah. I get my hat to you, little lady boy. I'll tell you what. You are so. I I've nicknamed you the pioneer lady because because <laughs> I don't know how you I don't know how you you I don't know how you managed for that long. There there was no way I could have done that. But but I really, you know, and that just goes to show you, like. I think you've already, I know this, you already told me you were in love with him before you ever went to see him. So I think that's the difference. Plus the universe, 
you know, I do believe the universe sort of has some things mapped out for us. And I, you know, I could not have done that. Uh, there is, there is no way. They would have, my family, you would have had to really put me in a straitjacket. <laughs> so, so, well, like it's I kind said, of funny. It's kind of funny because you and I, we just spark to each other. And, and what the, we have this in common is that you were there and you know what the house looked like, what the circumstances were like. Um, and we've, we've howled with laughter over it. And you said, um, that that drain board in the kitchen. <laughs> you said I'm responsible for that drain board. That's, and and that's and you right. said you said was it still there? And and you described the color. I said, oh yeah, that was our drain board. And and you said, yeah. Well, you should have seen the one when I got there. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, no. I guess I here's what here's what I was thinking. I thought I was going to be like a researcher. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and it quickly it quickly dawned on me, in, in, in addition to a couple other other stories that I'll tell you. But it quickly dawned on me that that what was really needed was someone to cook some meals for him because he mm-hmm. was in very poor health, mm-hmm. you know, and do the dishes. And you know what? That's never been me. I have never been married. <laughs> I don't have kids. You know, I, I grab an apple or an orange. <laughs> Or a quick sandwich, you know, cooking, you know, that, that's mm-hmm. that's not me. That's not me at all. And so, so like I said, it, I, I kind of realized that that's really, you know, he didn't need a researcher. <laughs> he already had it all. He already had it all figured out. He needed someone to cook and clean. And my gosh, that's just that just wasn't me <laughs> well it's but, it's you know, so that, it's that, so funny that, drain, that, that yeah, go ahead the drain well that you know he's very he's very he's very uh frugal right like, yes <laughs> you know yeah okay like nothing nothing new we don't need that you know and uh and so that 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 uh, dish drainer was it was harvest gold with mold on it and everything you know and one time we went into town and i was like I had to beg him, I'm like, please, can we buy, can we just get, a, you know, it's $5, right? This dish, dish drainer, I said, can we please buy a new dish drainer? And finally, finally he agreed, okay, okay, we can, we can bring a new dish drainer. It's all right to get a new dish drainer and bring it into the house, right? And then, and then, so like, okay, I thought, okay, well, just, you know, at least I can be putting these clean dishes on a, on a clean dish drainer, right? And then, and then that damn thing had to sit, you know, with, you know how there's like a pile, the pile right there in the kitchen of burning stuff? Right, <laughs> yes. Burned. Yes, yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, it sat, it sat in that pile for about, about four days, and finally I said, you can, can we like burn it, please? <laughs> I need to get this thing out of my sight. You know? Oh, Judy, you're so high maintenance. <laughs> I know. I know, but I at least waited four days. <laughs> oh. Well, yeah, the, so, you know, the, yeah. the funny thing is, I just uh, will interject here that um, okay. I, I was listening to Alan starting, I guess, probably late 2006 I don't know so maybe 2006 in there and I heard him say things like he was run off his feet and he didn't have time to eat and so forth well what I found out later I, I wouldn't say that, you know Alan was not interviewing women <laughs> that, that was not what was going on but as it turned out 
he there were a few women that came to visit and I think that that was always in the back of his mind was that that the right kind of help would come and and stay and uh, it just so happened I remember him asking me if I cooked I said I love to cook and of course <laughs> That's it. And I, you know, what I'm also going to say here too, because um, uh, this, I, you can tell this story yourself, or you can embellish it. But I have to say that that he told me about you and that you had come to visit a couple of times and he spoke very highly of you and he still had, you know, a friendship with you. So I, you know, I knew Judy, but I remember him saying the, the comparing us that we had both come out of the corporate world and we'd had these nice homes and et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, he said, Oh, she told me about her house and, and, you know, the, the switch plates where the lights were, everything she had picked them out, they were all custom. And she had talked about all of the details that she'd done with her house. And he said, you know, when she got here and I saw her, you know, she's this tall blonde woman with a nice pair of custom jeans and boots. And I thought to myself, she's CIA. <laughs> And then, you know, you know, he said, well, he goes, well, you don't, you always have to wonder. You have to wonder where, where do these people, you know, do they, you know, do, is some agency just handpicking the right woman just for you? And, and, uh, then he would, he'd say, I mean, I never could figure out, uh, what you would want to give up your, you know, fancy life and come here for either. But he said, I think, I think in your case, you're just nuts. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Talking about you. Yeah, talking about me. But, talking about you know, me. Yeah, you're just not. Yeah. I, so yeah, I said, oh, I'm, I, I'm crazy. I am crazy, Alan. I'm crazy about you, you know. But um, then later on, I don't know, some months later, you came up again in topic and he said, yeah, and those long legs. And I said, okay, Alan, I understand. Judy had long legs. Drop it. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, that's funny because I never even thought that he might think that I was CIA, but that makes sense. I mean, that makes sense that they might send somebody to, you know, but I, it never dawned on me, but I did, you know, like I listened to it before I ever got in touch with him. I listened to him for six months to see if there was any inconsistencies or, you know, any red flags or or whatever to see if he was the real deal. I never even thought, I you know, I think he about, was but, I think he was totally kidding about that. He just said the he said the idea and and he meant it towards me too. You know, he said when you think that a woman is going to come here and live in these circumstances. <laughs> you just have to ask yourself all of the questions. But no, he he didn't he didn't think that about you for a minute. He knew you very well. He <laughs> well, well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I'll tell you why. He, I mean, he said he did say that to me. Like, oh, did he? <laughs> later, he said. Yeah. He said. Well, I'll tell you why. Because because. <laughs> And this is why I really, really tip my hat to you because the first time that I visited him, I went home early. 
<laughs> I went home earlier than what I what I should have gone home because okay, I'll tell you. So that's funny. I got to back up to the you know the long legs thing and, and the CIA thing. Is that why he? Is that why he? When I like they would they didn't want to come to the airport because the cameras or whatever. And I said, oh okay, you know. So I had to take a I had to take a cab to there's some coffee shop closer closer to where he lives and be dropped off at this coffee sh- coffee shop and they picked me up from there mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so so I was walking out of the coffee and shop and they I won't I won't say a name but the they there that picked you up was was Alan and the young man that had helped uh, build the websites and was there for a few years helping with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was that, yeah, that was Okay, so it. they picked you up at the coffee shop. Yeah, so but he had me sit down on the curb. <laughs> we just sat there for, on the curb for about 20 or 25 minutes talking uh-huh. before we got in the vehicle to to drive away. So, I, and you know, after the last time I talked to you and we were talking to, about that, I thought Oh, I wonder what I, I wonder if I didn't pass. Did I pass some sort of test? <laughs> if I didn't pass some sort of test, was I going to get put back on in the cab and sent to a hotel and put back on the plane and come back home? Like what? You know, I'm not sure what about. Or was it the long legs that, <laughs> that was making him uncomfortable? He wanted to see if those long legs could sit down on a curb, <laughs> or I don't know. Just, that's too funny. But so, so, okay, so the next, so we, we do finally get to go. I do finally, you know, I get to go to the house, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, the next, the next day, we, he decided, you know, it would be good to go for a walk. So we're walking down the, you know, that road behind the house, mm-hmm. right? There's a mm-hmm. road behind the house, right? Yes. So yes. we head out, we're walking, walking down that road, walking the, walking. the road behind the house was, um, that was his road. It was a private road. Right. I, yeah, right. I'm just, right. I'm just saying that. It wasn't road. a, it was not road. a public yeah. road. Yeah, it was yeah, his road. Mine. Yeah. That was his road. So we're yes. walking down, you know, I'm thinking all of this property was his, right? That we're walking yeah. on, okay? Uh-huh. It's all his property. So we're, we're walking in whatever, and then, and then all of a sudden a, a thunderstorm rolled in, and it started raining, so we went and dashed, put ourselves under some, some trees, to uh-huh. get out of the rain, and then I think we had to move over to some other trees. And I said, you know, and he had he had an interview with somebody uh-huh. that night, and he was worried that he wasn't going to get back for the interview. And I said, no, I said, just, you know, this is going to just, it's going to open up, it's going to clear up long enough for us to get back to the house. And he's uh-huh. like, okay. So we sat there, sat there, and then finally it did. It just parted, and I was like, okay, now, now we can get back to the house. And he's like, I'm lost. I don't know how to get back to the house. <laughs> I'm like, nah, really? <laughs> he said, yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah. And I'm like, well, okay, I know the house is, and I pointed, I said, I know the house is there. That is where the house is. I know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't know what the terrain is between here and the house, but I know the house is there. And he's like, okay. And I led the way. <laughs> like, to the house. Through, I don't know if you ever, you know, like, Cause I didn't, I didn't, well, I mean, I didn't think I had to pay attention to, you know, cause the road kind of zigzags and does this and whatever, you know, I didn't mm-hmm. think I had to pay attention to it. It was his property, his house. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think that is, Alan was so, so focused that, mm-hmm. you know, nothing, I mean, he could have been, he could have been, 
you know, he could have been Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz, you know, and the house could have been, you know, spun around in, in a tornado and landed somewhere and it wouldn't, it wouldn't matter to him, you know? Yes. He was just so totally, yeah. totally focused. But anyway, so, so those long legs, they got us back home. <laughs> <laughs> but we had to go through, I don't know if you ever went, went in, into that, but you know, it was like a jungle. It was a jungle. I had a, I had those jeans on that he was talking about, and I also had a white sweater that just got totally trashed. I mean, it was so <laughs> muddy, the mud never came out. You know, so one one thing that he did warn me about before I came to visit him, because I'm just real picky about a shower, right? He did, he did, you know, he did warn me that, you know, it was a little rough, little rough going where where he lived. And I was like, oh, I, I can I can handle it a little rough as long as you have a. I asked him, do you have a, a warm shower? Can I have a hot shower? And he, yeah, I can, you can have a hot shower. And I was, okay. Because <laughs> that's really important to me, right? Mm-hmm. So it was cold and rainy. And so I jumped in the shower. And of course, I didn't have, I didn't have a hot shower. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was a cold shower. So I hesitated. But the, but the next day, you know, I said, you know, there, there wasn't hot water. Is there anything that we can do? So, we spent we spent a couple of days down in the basement fixing the water heater so I could have a hot shower. <laughs> okay, so that was a couple couple of days that we you know got sidetracked from getting things done that he needed to get done right. Mm-hmm. And then you know then some time went went on and I'll tell you the the uh, mosquitoes and the and the horse flies. Oh, they love me. They, they, um, I had, mm. I had like welts all over my face and all over my shoulders, and you know. And then um, I don't know about, I don't know, maybe five days, five days into <laughs> into it, all of a sudden one morning, Alan and his helper, you know, they're digging up the sewer, the <laughs> septic, the septic, <laughs> the septic tank, and I'm like. You know, so so. To, long story short, is my poop my poop is too big, and <laughs> I clogged up his septic tank, and I'm like, oh, oh my! I'm just like setting this guy back back so far from doing what he needs to do. You know, so I just it was like you know one thing after another, and I thought, you know, this this just this is not, you know. I'm not the one. I'm obviously <laughs> not the one to help him, you know. And I'm setting him, I'm setting him further, further behind. So I decided to, I decided to scoot out a little bit early. <laughs> and uh, that's funny. Well, you know, I I won't get into the details because it, you know it went. You actually arrived um, when the place was still virtually the Taj Mahal because he was. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he was very focused, and you know, eventually the plumbing just went. And, and I, oh, no. I, yeah, I too went through one of the digging up of the septics, and um, I was there for the digging up of the well and and putting a new pump in there. But uh, you know, I just learned to not only live with no hot water, but eventually no running water. Um, and that that was the way that it was, and but you oh, know, see, 
What? You are the pioneer woman. I'm telling you, <laughs> you are the pioneer woman because. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I won't. I won't go further. I won't go further with the circumstances because then people really would go, "Oh no, he was right. You are crazy." <laughs> it was real. It was rough. But the thing of it was is that you know I think for me, I had reached a point in my life where, I don't know if that. The stars aligned, say what you will, but he was he was right for me, and this was the right thing, and I it, that was it. So, I, I yeah. But you had the you had the Taj Mahal experience, Judy. <laughs> <laughs> Running water, and he even went down and fixed the hot water for you. <laughs> I never got that. I specifically specifically asked if I'd be able to have a hot shower because actually one of the reasons why I moved from Costa Rica back here to the Mm -hmm. States is because they don't have hot running water in Costa Rica. For Mm -hmm. a shower, they have like this little device that they put on on the shower head. And so when the cold water trickles over it, and it has to trickle instead of come out, Mm-hmm. It has to trickle to get to be warm. Right. It's like there's like exposed wires and stuff. <laughs> it's just crazy. And so that that was actually one of the reasons why I, I wanted to move back to the states where I could have a hot shower. So it's just always been really important. A hot shower has always really been important to me. You see, growing up, we had a we had like a, a I don't know a real small uh, hot water heater. It was a two-element hot water heater, and I think for many years, one of the elements was broke. You know, so so we only had hot water for about five minutes if we were lucky. So mm. you always wanted to be the first one. You know, I have a brother and a sister. You always wanted to be the first one in for the shower, right? So, you know, it's been a thing <laughs> since I can remember with me of wanting to have a hot shower. But, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So, yeah, we, yeah. Well, that, I mean, that was the thing, that was the thing about Alan and, um, that he was very clear up, he was very upfront with me about the idea that, that really his, the, his work was a mission and everything else came second. Well, I mean, I knew, you know, I, I, I knew that his work was, was, like, like I said, that's why I decided to leave her. Mm-hmm. I thought, shit, I don't, you know, what, what is it going to be next? <laughs> and I could be getting in the way, you know. Um, but then I did, like, I came home, and then, um, well, when I was talking to him, I had, I had got LASIK surgery. And you know how you just, like, in the back of your mind, when, when you see all these things going, like, are we ever going to get to the point where it's a Mad Max situation, right? Right, right. Right? You know, so you just... And and so I had I had got LASIK surgery on my eyes because I didn't want to be fumbling for glasses in the forest somewhere or something, you know. Mm-hmm. And I had talked to him about it, and uh, and I felt like I had you know kind of convinced him. You know, I didn't try to convince him. I just had talked about you know how wonderful it was to be able to just wake up and be able to see and not have mm-hmm. to either put contacts or contacts in or glasses on. So. He was able to, you know, I guess there they, you know, they put you on a schedule or whatever. Anyway, the the timing was such that when he was scheduled for a doctor to do that, to do that LASIK surgery, the fellow that was helping him wasn't going to be able to be there. Anyway, I so I flew back, mm-hmm. rented a car, and 
kind of took care of him for a couple of weeks. It was a, like a mo- much more of an ordeal for his surgery than it was for me here. I mean, they well, you know what they um, had do- him going back several several times and putting patches on his eyes and all kinds of things. And do you, you know what compounded here, that. Judy is, mm-hmm. um, you might not remember this, but what compounded it, he was just going to do it as a general thing, but he and his helper had been out cutting, uh, some trees down for firewood and he actually had a splinter go into his eye. And so he was not only doing the corrective vision, but they, ha- they were dealing with an injury on one of his eyes. So that was... Oh. Well, I never knew that. Really? Well, yeah. I know. No, I just thought it was. Just yeah. No, that. Well, it, it was. Cor- yeah. That. <laughs> it, no, it was corrective. And but on the one eye, he was actually suffering from an injury. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So I did go back, and I and I helped him. Helped him with taking care of him, taking him to the doctor. You know, back and forth several times, and. And doing that. <laughs> that was and then good. you must have come along right after that. Do you know how, like, how long was it that you came? Uh, I'm glad you did, by the way. I'm, you know, love, love is like the most powerful, powerful thing, right? So. Yes. It, it was. That was well, just, if that, it, you know, they how, don't. Maybe they, that's just how it was meant to be. Meant yeah. to be don't know? they say that love covers a multitude of sins? <laughs> <laughs> that that's what I've heard and I think you know that that's it because I remember when when we first you know he he picked me up they picked me up and um then I got to the house and I was sitting across the table and you know what the that little propane stove looked like Do you, can you remember that the 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 stove it was a unit that should well, I tried been... to blank it out yeah <laughs> I remember his big magnifying glass. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> the that the kitchen? I tried to blink that out. <laughs> well, I made a lot of good meals and baked a lot of good bread in that house and that stove. But it, this was the roughest living that I had ever been. I had never seen anything the like of it. I should just say that. But I remember sitting at the, the table, and the, the thought in the back of my mind was, I've never seen anything like this. And <laughs> and I remember him, him saying something like um and I'm I I'm not a, a drinker, you know, at all, but I re- I remember sitting there at the table and then at a certain point and we'd been talking talking and in the and in my head I was thinking, wow, this really is rough living here, you know. And then I remember him saying, "Would you like some brandy?" And I, <laughs> I said, yes, yes, <laughs> a brandy would be really nice. <laughs> okay, so, so I'm not a drinker either, you know, I'm not a drinker either. And when I got there that, that first night. <laughs> Did you like, get a brandy? I'm not a <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you asked for it. You asked for it. <laughs> I asked for it, yeah. I need something to drink. <laughs> well, see, you had, you had kind of 
kind of what do they call it? Uh, smooth the, the smooth the way for me because by the time I got there, he must have known it, it have a bottle or something. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. Yes, I gulped down a couple of, I think it was brandy, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so that's just too funny. Yeah, mm. that pretty rough, pretty rough, mm. yep, pretty rough. <laughs> but yeah. you, did, you did great, you did great, my goodness. You know, he, he was really, he was not in very good shape, I mean, health-wise, but those pictures that you showed, Mm-hmm. You know, when you did the, uh, oh, what'd you call it? Yeah, forti- fortitude, yeah. Fortitude, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he looks really good. So you must have cooked some really good meals. So yeah. good good for you. <laughs> we we thank you. We all thank you for taking care of him. <laughs> well, he was awfully you skinny. You were exactly what I... he needed. What's that? <laughs> he was awfully skinny when I got there, you know. So. And you're welcome for, like, you know. Laying the groundwork for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had, uh, there was a bottle of brandy and a new kitchen drain board. What more could a woman ask for? <laughs> my gift, my gift to you. <laughs> Thank you, Judy. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, oh, we've, yeah, we've, we've had, we had something in mind actually that we were going to talk about, um, here, but we've, we've run up to, we're like, 48 minutes into this conversation. I don't know if we want to just keep talking about Alan and, and good old Esther or if we wanted to touch on a couple of things. Well, what do you That's think? It. Well, you know what we might do? You you had such an interesting thing that you wanted to talk about, and I, I, I think, oh, now that I've teased okay. them that way, it would be, you mentioned a few weeks ago or a couple of weeks ago when we were talking that if I had heard of something or if I was aware of something and it, yeah, it well, really hadn't, oh, I, I, I just hadn't noticed that word. I hadn't seen it. So it was interesting to me. Well, one of the things, you know, I'm, and I'm pretty sure everybody else or most, most, most everybody else has come to this. Yeah. You know, I think along the way you realize that you're on a spiritual journey, right? Mm-hmm. So, especially after, especially after Alan died, mm-hmm. you know, I thought I need to. I just got this. You know, I need to learn. I need to learn everything that I can learn about the spiritual world because I do believe that we go on to the spiritual world. So, you know, I'm sorry if people don't don't believe that or if they have different beliefs. That's that's okay, but that is what I believe, and that's not hurting anybody. <laughs> so I just felt that I just felt the need to learn as much as I possibly could about the spiritual world. So when I get to the spiritual world, you know, I don't have to spend a lot of time figuring things out like you, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to have a repeat. So anything that I could possibly, possibly learn, I'm, I just felt like just. I needed to I needed to learn. So I came across the work of Rudolf Steiner. I started really digging deep into Rudolf Steiner's work. So for the past I don't know what, nine months and then we've talked about some things over over that course of time. So for the past nine months I've been pretty intensely reading his work. I've looked at other people's work as well and read other books and just to let some of the information digest 
but but I have you know pretty intensively and trying to read as as quickly as I can. But that that's like like he and Alan are are quite similar and their styles are are quite similar as well. And there's a lot of things that they talk about that are you know they they're saying the same things in in their own words, mm-hmm. but they're the same things. And and Rudolf Steiner, you know, he he started the Anthroposophical Society. Mm-hmm. For to study to study spiritual science, so he felt like you could you know the spiritual world is a science and you could study it like a science, and that was what his goal was. So he talks a lot about he, now obviously he, there's a lot of other things that he talks about like nutrition and the other reason why I wanted to study his work is I want to know how the human organism really works. Because what is out there, what they're telling us, doesn't doesn't jive, in my opinion, with the truth. Mm-hmm. And so, so that was another reason. And um, you know, he did do the the what school was it again? <laughs> Sorry, the tip of my tongue. Um, you know, he's responsible uh, for the Waldorf Waldorf school. Yes, yes. So, and the Waldorf so the schools mayor- are. Uh, I, I think a lot of people in the States might be familiar with them, but um, I actually have a, a niece of mine as a, a has been a Waldorf teacher for a long time. And what it is is very individualized teaching. I, I don't know. I've, I've never actually been into one of the classrooms, but I hear that they have students of different ages working together. And, you know, older students will help younger students. So... They're kind of, in a way, setting their own curriculum, and instead of being shoehorned into a class where everyone is the same age and learning the same exact thing at the same time, it's a little bit more autonomous and individual-led. That's my understanding of Waldorf. Yeah, and it's not, okay, here's how it is, and then put that answer on the test and you pass the test. It's not like that. Mm-hmm. They, you know, it's... It, uh, it's to teach you independent thinking, mm-hmm. you know. So, so as a matter of fact, real quick, I I just barely made it through seventh and eighth grade because it was so boring. Mm-hmm. And I did make it through my freshman year, but probably only because I took stagecraft. But but then I didn't. I I I couldn't stand it. It was mm-hmm. just so so boring. Mm-hmm. It was, and I started working really young. Like I started, I was the waitress for Bob's Big Boy at at. Almost thirteen, so so twelve, twelve years old. I started yeah, you, working. You and I have that in common too. I couldn't, you know, wait to have my own source of income, my own car, all these things that I thought were independence. You know, I owned two cars before I was old enough to drive. <laughs> my mother, my mother, yeah, my mother caught me. I used to park them down the street and around the corner. You know, my mother caught me with the first one and she took it away. Well, I just sold it the next day and bought a bought another one, you know, and I think she never will admit that, you know, I think she knew about the second one, but she thought, oh, I'm just gonna, mm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna keep quiet until she gets her, until she's old enough to get her license, you know, so I was already working at, at, at the bank in a, in the research and adjustments department by the time I was 15 years old, so, so yeah, I was ready to get on, yeah, school was, poof, and that was quite some time ago, so, I can only imagine what the schools are like now. I, if I had children, there's no way they'd be in public school. But, but anyway, okay. So back to to Rudolf Steiner. So, also listening to some of the spiritual lectures, 
I don't, are you familiar with like his description of the Luciferic forces and the Aramonic forces? You said, like, I think we, I, yes, yes. I, I looked at it just a tiny bit. I did not have a, a chance to watch the video that you sent me, but I did read the key concept of it. It's interesting. Yeah, and I think that, you know, just in, in talking and even listening to, which, by the way, I wanted to say, you know, I really appreciate everybody that's come forward and talked to you. It's just, it's very nice to hear people that are genuine. It does something to your, it does something to your heart. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can tell when someone's speaking truth. Even if you don't agree with what they're saying, they're speaking their truth. It's not they're trying to push an agenda on you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and so it resonates really, really nicely. And so I really appreciate the people that have come forward and listening to their stories. So with Rudolf Steiner, so he talks about the Luciferic forces and the Aramonic forces. And in, in that one video that I had sent to you, people should really, when I try to say something that Rudolf Steiner might have talked about or whatever, they should really look at his look at his work because I don't so I don't want to like I'm not an expert on Rudolf Steiner I'm still trying to digest all of what I've read and what what he has said but in 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 that video he talks about how the like the aramonic uh, forces you know ultimately they don't like the freedom that humans have and ultimately they want us not to even have bodies as a matter of fact the way Rudolf Steiner that is they would like us just to be an organism with an eye or an ear, an I-E-Y-E, or an ear, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's in, that is in, in that video. And then when you think about it, with, which will fill in some gaps here of what, what, what I think you were alluding to, but when you think about it, they do, you know, um, and I was, and what popped into my mind when I, when I heard him say that is, it's it's true. They um, do you remember the the 2012 Olympics that were in the UK? Did yes. Did you watch the opening? Uh, I I yes. The the nurses. Okay. So yeah, yeah. Yes. The nurse, uh, yeah. The whole, that whole yeah, yeah. That whole thing. But but and we might probably won't have time to get into that. Maybe that that can be like another another. Well, show. It, it was it cho- choreographed nurses that were like the nurse sisters, I say sister or mother as a distinction, what they used to, the old-fashioned terminology for the nurse, but it's old-fashioned costumes, and they were dancing with gigantic hypodermic needles. And beds, and children yes, in bed. And, and children in bed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it was yeah. very yeah, evil. I, don't, I, haven't had a t- I haven't had a TV for <clears throat> over 20 years, so I had to go, because I knew... You know, at that time, I was watching a lot of their stuff to see what it is that, you know, and I knew that that that, that type of thing is real big for them. So I had to go over to my sister's house to watch it, and we were watching mm-hmm. it. And when that, that started happening, and then the big black guy, mm-hmm. the big black whatever, I, I think that was an entity, mm-hmm. and I don't want to get into it because that's a whole another thing. But when that happened, my sister was like, dude, we have to shut this off. I can't, I can't, this is just... This is just spooky. Mm-hmm. This is I mm-hmm. I can't watch this anymore. But the thing that I was going to say about the 2012 Olympics is um, their mascot was just like this thing with one big eye. Mm-hmm. And and if you think think about it, there have been I know they have had other mascots or other 
things where they'll just stick a big eye. Like it's mm-hmm. like a like I said, it's like a it's like a an organism with a big with a big eye. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't, it, you know, it may sound crazy. Some some of the things that Rudolf Steiner says, you know, it may sound crazy, but it's not crazy after watching what we've just experienced this past three years. No, and you so, know, also too, I, I think kind of tying in this direction. Do you remember? Um, I think it was you and I that were talking before about the ver- the first of Alan's cutting through books, which is the Hermaphroditic Agenda. Yeah, you, <laughs> yeah. we both we both had the same reaction to it, which is what's this? I you know, I, it, and this is years ago, but I remember I I ordered his books. I ordered them individually, so single volumes. And the first book that I ordered from him was volume two. Because I could not wrap my head around uh, hermaphrodite, hermaphrodites and androgyny. And, I mean, think where we are now. Oh, oh I know. I didn't even know what androgyny meant. Right. <laughs> so look it up. And that was another reason why I wanted to listen to everything he had to say. Because I thought, okay, androgyny, reptilian people, you know, what's going on? What's going on here? But now we don't see any reptilian people, do we? But we do see... Androgynous people. That's right. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so yeah. So yeah. So you. So yeah. Some things are. Some things sound crazy, but like I said, you know, Rudolf Steiner. He. He. I think he gave his life, just like just like Alan gave his life, to the work of trying to inform people. So could you imagine a hundred years ago hearing <laughs> hearing mm-hmm. some of this stuff? Mm-hmm. But so I so so okay, okay. So keeping in mind that they would like us not to have bodies. As a matter of fact, in in that video, he says they they would like us to be actually moral, intelligent automatons mm-hmm. without bodies. Mm-hmm. You know, or just be an organism with an eye or mm-hmm. an ear. Okay, I think that's what they're working towards and I think what you were wondering and what we've been talking about is my my thoughts on that they want everybody to be disabled and in a wheelchair and I think that's just one step and the things some things that got me to thinking that was actually uh, way back when I was I was working for a home builder and I worked I worked for the in the home building business almost uh, 30 years, around 30 years, mm-hmm. but in the late 80s, early 90s, we had to revise all of our plans to bring them up to um, the United Building Codes, United Electric Codes, and mm-hmm. the Plumbing Codes, which came down from the United Nations, because I remember thinking, now who in the hell do they think they are telling us <laughs> how we have to build buildings, you know, and I remember just going on and on about that, who, who they think they are. And at the same t- at the same time, they um, like that. That was when it was a, it was that far back that they that we could not any longer uh, put a wood burning fireplace in a house. Right, it right. had to be it had to be natural gas. Mm-hmm. But along with that whole revision to several things, they were real big on disabled. Handicapped, you know. I don't know what the proper word is. Excuse me, you know. (laughs) But but we had to. We as a matter of fact, every every community that we started, we had to have a plan completely drawn as a complete 
handicapped, accessible home. Mm-hmm. You know, so it just, I, I just remember, I remember asking Alan a couple of times, like, you know, it just seemed like there was like a lot of energy and effort put into it to make sure that it, uh, that, that there was everything, there were, that we were doing all of this stuff for handicapped people, which I have no problem with. But my question to Alan was, why are they doing that? Because they don't seem to care about anybody. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that was the, that was the reason that it got my attention. I mean, Did there was Alan no problem with question? doing that. You know, I can't remember what I can't remember. If he did, I can't or... remember how he how he answered it. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. but I just it's been like in the back of my it's been at the back of my mind for for quite some time now. Well, when we and, were speaking, you used a word that I did not think that I had heard before. Uh, I had the concept and people who identified as such or identified as disabled. And there are people who identify as a- disabled even though they have fully functioning limbs and so forth. But you used a word with me that just hadn't yeah, crossed that, my radar. Well, that's that's what really that's what really brought it, you know, to me, bringing something up to you. So I've been thinking, wow, they, you know, they want everybody, they want everybody in a wheelchair. And I'll tell you, the other reason why is because this metaverse, mm-hmm. what, what better customers for the metaverse than someone that's in a wheelchair? Mm-hmm. You know, so I have just, I've been thinking along those lines. And then, what was it, a couple of weeks ago, I, there was just a, a clip that came across the computer and they called it trans, transable. Ism, transableism, mm-hmm. and I'm like transableism. So that is where someone is perfectly healthy and they identify as Handicap. disabled. Yeah, and they've gone in. Yeah, and they've gone in and had like their spinal column snipped, Ugh. or legs, limbs amputated, or made themselves blind. <laughs> You know, and so what, so yeah, so I'm thinking like, is, is this the next <laughs> thing they're going to push is, you know, everybody should have some sort of disability. And then, I don't did you get my, you know how you had said Western, or that university? Yes. You had, you had put, well, when you mentioned transableism to me, there were a couple of things immediately that came to mind. Just a few days before we spoke and you told me this, I had signed out of the mail and they always want to, you know, pop up some news story or give you something to nudge you into looking at that. And what came up for me was the cover issue of British Vogue magazine, so a fashion magazine. And the cover of this month, May issue, was, it, it said it's, People forget how hard it is for the disabled community. This is being promoted as a movement, not a moment, and showcasing a diverse group of people living with disabilities. So they had a few different versions of the cover for the magazine. One of them, I'm not sure if she was Down syndrome or not, but one of the issues had a woman in a beautiful dress in a wheelchair. Another one was a, 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 I don't know if she was, there's, I'm not going to use the politically correct word, I'm sorry, but she was a midget. Uh, 
on the front of Vogue. Or, um, so that came into my mind. And then the other thing, and you actually watched this film, immediately put in my head, there was a short story by Kurt Vonnegut um, years ago called Harrison Bergeron or Bergeron, I'm not sure how you say that. And um, they turned it into a short film about 14, 15 years ago called 2081. And yeah. this this ties in beautifully with diversity, equity, because in order to make everyone equal, the government goes to extreme measures to make sure that everyone is equal. And so you see um, ballerina dancers in this short film, and they're hobbled by, they have to dance with like, weights tied to their legs and you know it's a whole future where where disability is not only promoted but it's required and yeah so i so i guess the the thing is wanting to warn people don't don't fall for don't fall for that you know well the the other thing too i sent you i i had just seen that thing from the university of michigan um now I, now that we're sitting here talking, I can't pull it up, but you actually read it, so you can tell people. There, the University of Michigan was um, wanting to have more, their, I guess, inclusive guide, inclusive words, and they wanted to get rid of words that made people feel unsafe or not included. And if you want to talk yeah. about that, since you read the whole thing, yeah. that would be great. Okay, my uh, computer crashed about an hour before you oh, called. Okay, but I happened to write this. I happened to write this part down because <laughs> it, it was so important. So, so yeah, when you had mentioned the um, Michigan, it was, Michi- it was Michigan University, right? M- Michigan State, yeah. Michigan State University. When you had mm-hmm. mentioned that, I thought I I want to go. You know, instead of just having that little news clip of the people talking, I always like to try to go and go right straight to the real document and look at the real document. So that's. So I went to their site and have have read quite a bit on that document. But one of the one of the items under what was it titled? It was under um, disabilities, a section under disabilities. And what it says, and this is the inclusive language. It says, "Do not use a quote able-bodied or quote normal when referring mm-hmm. to people without disabilities. Instead, use the terms." quote, an individual without a disability or neurotypical to describe an individual without a learning disability, autism, ADHD, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so are you ready for that? So instead of you being normal, we, we're going to have to say you are an individual without a disability. Yes, or I'm neurotypical, but that won't last long because typical is almost like normal, right? Right, right. Yeah. And, and near, why am I having a hard time with that word? Well, <laughs> yeah, so it's <laughs> norm. So it, I don't know. It just. The one you know, thing. And I, was thinking, I was thinking, go ahead. Oh, well, it's just one thing that the um, Michigan State University administrator said they didn't want any language on official school programs or curriculum to be racist, sexist, or ableist. So, you know, this whole thing, this trans-ableism, you know, ableist comes from able-bodied, and there can't be any language around that. And, yeah, so anyway, what, what were you saying if you... 
It sounds like, and especially with other, when I started thinking more about it, they really, they really want, it seems like they're trying to make us believe that our bodies are the enemy, mm-hmm. the more I think about it. And even some of these, you know, new age, you know, health people, like, like there's one that, t- that says, you know, our bodies are not physical, you know, you know how, you know how the physics people or the quantum physics and, you know, how, you know, nothing's really physical, right? Nothing's real. It's just energy. <laughs> you know? Do you know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, like, like there's one radio talk show host that's always, your body's not physical. And I, you know, I just want to say, once you turn around and jump out that window right behind you and see how physical your body is, <laughs> you know? But I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you know, all that kind of stuff, it's just all, like, you don't need a body, you know? You don't need a body. I think mm-hmm. that's what they want to get to is where we don't need a body. The body is the enemy, you know? I mean, it's full of viruses well, and... Yeah, if you think about what the elite, you know, they're... they're uh, who knows where they are right now in the transhumanism agenda? But the long Alan's talked about the uh, the idea of the engram, where the person's personality, the what makes the essence of them, as if you can capture that and upload it into a computer to be downloaded again into another body. I mean, it's also ridiculous. But this is their thinking is that the essence oh, yeah. can actually be captured and can be put in another body. And so if this is the if this is at the core of the transhumanist ideology, then you can see because typically when you're sorry I interrupted myself, but but typically when you look at a religion that's promoted from that that is the religion of those at the top, then the religion that they promote for the little people will have elements of that of their thinking in that right and mm-hmm. i think that the i think that the elements that we will see are exactly what you're talking about that the the body doesn't matter is not essential right and then I've, actually i think they also they also want to they want to capture our soul and our spirit or, or take that out of the picture mm-hmm. as well and that's actually mine. Yeah, on. what you're talking about with the spinal fluid too. I mean, that's uh, the spinal fluid is an incredible fluid, right? Yeah, I, I like when this, you know, first started happening. I, I just had a real strong feeling that one they were going, they were trying to capture, capture souls, and that we had to really. And I know Alan had said this: protect the, protect the skull, protect the brain, but mm-hmm. also. I've done a lot of research over the past two years about with the spinal column and the cerebral, cerebral spinal fluid because I mm-hmm. think that's very, very important, uh, a very important fluid that doesn't even really get talked about. But so I think that they're after, they are after those areas. Those are areas that need to be protected. Yeah, you know, and I—I I mean, I think I do think you're right. I think that we, you know, that when Alan talks about the mind not having a firewall and that you have to be careful of the things like the 
like even your sister saying she didn't want to see the 2012 Olympic, it was just too dark and awful. There, we do have to have decisions about what we allow into the programming of our mind, but it is more than that. It is the, it's protecting the physical body. Yes. The, the physical body. And I think the older religions, I'm not talking about transhumanism, but older in Christianity in particular, um, says that the body is the temple of God. That's the temple of the creator. And there's a lot of places that you could go with that um, esoterically. But mm-hmm. the, you know, a lot of Christians will understand that to mean that you have to take care of your body. And what right. have we what have we seen the last three years? Um, a giving over of the body, and that is see this is a really important thing. Again, you know, I I'll, I'll have to be. I'm interested to know about transableism, and I am glad that you brought this to my attention in a very vivid way. To me, the I think that the propaganda around this will get hyped up the way that the transgender propaganda has been hyped up and we'll hear more and more and more of it and we'll hear it as it's already a done deal you see pretty soon Mm -hmm. they'll have there'll be groups that'll be organized there'll be movements they'll be on the street there'll be demands made and so forth and people will be outraged and you'll have these stories that are meant for you to be emotional and react. And I keep looking at all of this as a kind of theater that we have to be careful of not overreacting to. It's We, we are actually living through um, the hermaphroditic androgynous agenda and some. And so it's, it's guarding our own spirits, guarding our own psyches. But what we have had is this onslaught of propaganda that we have no rights over our body, what goes into our body. No rights. And, right. Yeah. Well, we do, though. Of course <laughs> well, we do. That's another we, thing that I, was yeah. search, that I was searching for in, in reading Rudolf Steiner's. I wanted to see, you know, what 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 he said about, quote, rules, <laughs> other, other spiritual rules, just to see what he said. Not mm-hmm. that it's going to make a difference or not because nobody has the right to inject anything into my body and and like I said from the very beginning I will go to my death before anybody injects anything into my body mm-hmm. that is not happening <laughs> you know but the, one of the reasons why I wanted to bring up the the wheelchair thing is you know 20 years ago when we came across or 15 years ago or 17 years ago when we came across Alan's work and there there weren't all these young people that are transitioning but right. now look at mm-hmm. look now look around it's like oh my word you know mm-hmm. so i just i don't want to see young people fall victim to thinking it's pretty cool to become disabled mm-hmm. because there's no <laughs> i mean once you cut off a limb or snip your spinal column there's no turning back mm-hmm after and that. The, the, the doctors you know, who are going along with this, yes. Oh, yeah, the doctors, you know, we talk about the mm-hmm. doctors. There's, like you and, you and, uh, Neil talked a little bit about, about the doctors. I think I've mentioned a couple things that Rudolf Steiner mentioned about 
about the doctors, <laughs> you know, and them not not only taking this vaccine but uh, giving giving it to other people. Right. I we, we don't have time to get into it, but I do have some information on on the doctors. Some something that Rudolf Steiner said, and there's another. I will mention this book. That's actually a, a book that was written. If someone wants to even go deeper, it's called COVID Vaccines from a Spiritual Perspective, written mm-hmm. by a guy named Thomas Mayer, and it's Consequences for the Soul and Spirit and for Life After Death. Okay. And it's a very good it's a very good book. It talks about the talks about the vaccination and things that they've learned about the vaccination. Well, I think that's so good. Far. I, I, yeah, because yeah. we're still because, learning. Because also, you know, I don't, I don't know if anybody else has noticed, but the people, the people that I know that have been vaccinated, sometimes they seem to be like a different person, mm-hmm. not the, not the same person. You know, there's all kinds of things, mm-hmm. but we don't have time to go into that. I'm pretty sure. It, it is, yeah, but I tell you, I tell you what, Judy. Um, what we'll do is you can send me some links. I have some of the links that you sent me about transabilism, and I will put those up with this talk. You can send me the some information about the book, and I will link to that as well. We'll be sure to link to that Rudolf Steiner video as well. And we'll talk again and get, you know, deeper into this or something else. But I'll add all of that in for this talk so that listeners can explore this deeper for themselves. Yes. Also, that one where Rudolf Steiner, you know, 100 years ago talked about how there would be a vaccination given, basically given given at birth that would take away any spiritual Mm -hmm notions or however he worded it like i said my computer my computer crashed so i can't that's okay i i we um, i've i've got a copy of that too um i think it's in french because the person who sent it to me is from france but we can uh, translate it and put it up in english as well so Okay. But it's been so much fun, as it always is, for me to talk to you. And I, I hope that the listeners have gotten something from my conversation with Judy. We're debating the title. I wanted to, as a nod to, it was never in a Cary Grant movie, as it turns out. But I was thinking the title should be Judy, Judy, Judy. <laughs> and you, you voted and I thought of, You voted for Punch and Judy. Go ahead. Yeah, but and then I thought of another one. Oh, what's your what is you it? You had mentioned you had mentioned um I think they're they're Google glasses that I forget what you said these Google glasses did. What, what you had mentioned those about a week ago or two weeks ago. Google glasses, right? Were mm-hmm. they Google glasses or what kind of glasses that did something? What did they do? Oh, um <laughs> I, I I I can't remember that these were the ones that the were these that this was when I was on with Johnny and Bruce they mentioned it um oh, they it was okay. yeah it was kind of I think it was kind of the reverse of the they live thing the, oh that's right the glasses would block out basically light and and no, uh, light pollution oh they, light okay yeah Okay, so so almost a year ago, I think it was about a year ago, I, I saw uh, someone talking about some glasses that they were inventing, and I thought they were Google glasses, or I, I tried to look up the information. 
But these glasses will uh, block out like trash. Really? And that was when when the homelessness situation was just oh. getting really, 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 really bad. Oh, and so that's... I told my mom, I said, I, I, I want some of those glasses that will just, you know, will <laughs> will block out all the trash because it's, you know, in in these in these states where this homelessness is just completely out of control. There's a lot of trash. I'm sorry to say, but there is a lot of a lot yeah. of trash. But yeah, these glasses. So we can just, you know, we can let all of that just happen or whatever, and we can just get these special glasses that'll block out the trash. <laughs> I was thinking oh, about it today. Oh, that's funny. Okay, but I thought. Well, the one thing that I thought about with these glasses is, you know, if you're walking along and and they block out the trash, what happens if you trip? But then I thought, well, you know what, if we're just floating bodies, if we're just floating bodies with an eye, we can wear these glasses and we'll just float right above all the trash. And everything ah, will be just fine. Yes, oh, that's good. <laughs> which, which, which brought me to uh, the, uh, the song, you know, Judy in Disguise with glasses. Oh, yeah. That, that's <laughs> <laughs> Judy in Disguise. That be, that's, it's Judy in Disguise. Judy in Disguise. I don't know that one. Okay, well, do you know what a, a Mondegreen is? No. A Mondegreen is like, you know how you, you have a song and you think it's a certain way and you've been singing it all your life this way and then oh, all of a sudden you right, right, oh, right, right, yeah. Just, okay, <laughs> well, well, that song, that song, Judy in Disguise, with glasses, uh-huh. was, was uh, Mondegreen, and I don't, can't remember who, the name of the group that did it, but they did it from uh, Lucy in the skies with diamonds. With diamonds. They did it as a Monde- <laughs> yeah, no, they did it as a Mondegreen from, for that song. Okay. <laughs> so that's where. So yeah, because there's always there was always that that confusion, you know, with my name. It's like, you know, and then sometimes people would sing Judy in the skies, <laughs> but it's not Judy in the, it's Judy in the skies. Yeah, with glasses instead of Lucy in the skies with diamonds. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> anyway, so so there you have you there you have a couple of different ones uh, to choose titles in which to choose. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I remember. I think that those glasses blocked ads, digital ads. That's oh, okay. Well, yeah. I tried to when so. I when that when I remembered that I tried to in these last couple of days I tried to find the glasses that I saw. I'll still I'll still search it out, but I couldn't, okay. I couldn't find I couldn't put my hands on the article. But anyway, anyway, I wanted to say we I speaking for other people as well really appreciate you continuing Alan's work and and it has been very much a pleasure to be your friend and to be able to talk to you. I really appreciate our conversations because that's, that's one of the things with Alan. I could just, we could just, you know, and I, I didn't always see things the same way Alan did. I mean, we had our differences, but we could have a conversation about it and just talk, a normal conversation. So I sure appreciate you being my friend. And oh, thank you, Judy. Allowing, I, I'm allowing you to babble on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I very much appreciate your friendship, and I want to thank the listeners for listening to a couple of uh, women just delight in one another's company and laugh and howl and babble on. <laughs> so thank you. Thank <laughs> okay. you very much. Thank you. I will um, be back next week with someone else to talk to, and thank you for 
tuning in to listen. Bye.